there are a lot of things in life that uh, just happen pretty pretty easy, happen pretty naturally. You know, when you have to think about it or work at it, if you just kind of live on autopilot, they'll just happen. You know, like uh, gaining weight, getting in debt. There, there's all kinds of things that will just happen naturally, but they're almost all bad things. Most things in life that are good, that are worth having, you have to work at. We've got a lot of uh, couples in our church that have been married for decades. And I think anybody that's been married that long will tell you the secret to having a great marriage is to work at it. You have to put effort in. You have to sacrifice. It involves being intentional about this relationship. It doesn't just happen naturally. And today we're talking about the unity of the church. And like a good marriage, unity in the church takes effort. It doesn't happen naturally. Because when we think about what's natural, our sinful nature is really what's natural. And the sinful nature will manifest itself in all kinds of ways that will create division instead of bringing unity. So if we want to see God's church together, it takes effort and it takes sacrifice and it takes patience. So Paul is teaching about this in Ephesians chapter 4. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 as he talks about unity in the body of Christ. So I want to ask you to join me in standing together as we read this text. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And Paul was literally in prison when he was writing this letter. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In a saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far from all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to understand what Paul was urging the Ephesians to do. And Lord, I pray that for your honor and for your glory, we would dedicate ourselves to building up your church in unity together. Father, help us to discover our calling and to walk in a manner worthy of it. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul says here that we need to live a life worthy of our calling. So the call to follow God is a, is a high calling. He, he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, so what is this calling? We often think about vocational ministers and we say, well, someone was called to be a missionary, someone was called to be a pastor, someone was called to be an evangelist, and oftentimes that's how we think about calling, but actually God has a call on the life of every believer. And so what is calling that applies to everybody? Well, first, we've been adopted into God's family. The first part of this letter emphasized that about how God has adopted us in and given us an inheritance, and that's why we have spiritual blessings. And when we have been uh, adopted into a family, there's not only a great blessing involved with that, but there's, there's also some responsibility, isn't there? Now, Kevin Azell is the president of the North American Mission Board, and he has uh, several adopted children, and uh, he adopted a son, uh, I believe from Ethiopia, if I remember correctly, and he was talking about he adopted this young boy, and he said uh, every night he, he went to, to, to tuck him in. And he said, he said the young man was, was so thankful and so aware of how blessed he had been to being adopted into that family. Dr. Azell said every night when he would, he would tuck him in, he said he would say, he would say thank, thank you for adopting me into this family. He said, I will be a good son to you. And, and Dr. Zell said, said every night he would say this. He says, he says, I will be a good son to you. And he was, that young man was aware that not only did he have a great blessing, but that came with some responsibility. And Dr. Zell said, he said, I finally, he said, I had to, I told him, I said, son, you don't need to say that. And he said, I finally told him, son, just for my own emotional well-being, you've got to stop saying that. He said, every time he would say it, I'd leave the room in tears, just kind of overwhelmed. The young man, he understood what it meant to be adopted. God has adopted us into his family. We become heirs of the kingdom of God. The Bible also tells us that we're ambassadors for Christ. He's called us to help present this message of reconciliation to God. Now, it seems like whenever we look at that passage and it speaks about being ministers of reconciliation, people just can't get out of their mind reconciling two people that can't get along, but that has absolutely nothing to do with that text. It's about reconciling people to God. To be an ambassador for Christ means to be his spokesperson in the world to present this message 
this morning we're collectively doing it as we teach in Sunday school and preach in the sanctuary and broadcast through all kinds of means of technology. We're getting this message out to the community and to the world. This is a call upon our lives from God to be ambassadors, to help people, to be reconciled to God. We're called to be Christ's witnesses in the world. And what does a witness do? They, they tell what they've seen and what they've heard. In the same way, God calls us to be a witness of what Christ has done in our lives. Oftentimes, we get overwhelmed at the thought of sharing our faith because we think, well, what if they ask a question about the Bible that I can't answer? What if they ask a philosophical question that I can't answer? You know that God is not calling us to be the Bible answer man, and he's not calling us to have a Ph.D., not all of us anyway, in philosophy and apologetics. He's just calling us to tell people what happened to us. Remember that man who the Pharisees cornered, Jesus had healed him, and they asked him, where Jesus was from and here's what he said he said this I know I was blind but now I see that's the idea of a witness it is tell what Christ has done in our lives and the Bible says that collectively as a church we are the bride of Christ these are just some of the things that God has called us to and with this with this calling comes not only great spiritual blessing, but also comes some responsibility. And so that's why Paul says that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've, that we've received. Having understood what God has done for us, what God has brought us into, and what God has gifted us for, then our life should be consistent with that. And so that's why he says we need to walk, which is speaking about our lifestyle our lifestyle many people want to think about an, an action i want to do something for god i want to make a decision but following god is not about a single action or a single decision it's about an entire lifetime of devoting ourselves to follow him and that's what it means to to walk to walk with god and to walk in his paths. And so Paul says this, this walking, this, this, not this moment of action, but this whole lifestyle of how we live every day. We need to live in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. And so this, this life that we're called to that, that leads to unity in the church, it consists of some challenging ways of interacting with others. The Bible says here in verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's a couple things to note here. If you read about what the Bible teaches about our sinful nature, the Bible often refers to it as the flesh. And it's not talking about the skin on our body. It's talking about our sinful nature. Every one of these things is not a part of the sinful nature. In fact, they are all the very opposite of what comes natural to us, which is these different manifestations of the sinful nature. 
And so if we want to live in such a way that we foster unity in the body of Christ instead of planting seeds for division, then it involves becoming a new person. It involves putting to death the old self and taking on a new self. So look at this list. First, it says, with all humility. Humility. Humility is the opposite of arrogance. It's somewhat the opposite of pride. You know, pride and arrogance just go hand in hand together. And pride and arrogance are one of the chief ways that the sinful nature will manifest itself. Pride leaves the the lost person to say, well, I don't need to be saved. I can save myself. Uh, Pride and arrogance leads us to, to independence. But it also leads us to act in such a way that we create division. Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I love that guy. He's so arrogant. I just love to be around him. No. No. Arrogance doesn't draw us together. Arrogance divides us. But humility brings people together. So what what is humility? See, some people have this false idea that humility is just putting yourself down. But humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is just seeing yourself in a proper perspective. It's just understanding who God is and who you are and who he's called you to be. And so when somebody says, you are one of the best Sunday school teachers I've ever had, you may be a great Sunday school teacher. Humility is not saying, no, I'm not a great Sunday school teacher. I don't, I don't, I can't even, I barely read. That, that, that's, that's just, a, that's a lie. That's called, that's false Humility. Humility recognizes and it says, well, I am what I am by the grace of God. If I've been able to teach anybody in Sunday school and really help them, it's just because God has given me the gift of teaching and called me to this service. Humility is just understanding who we are in light of God. Humility will lead us to recognize that we don't know everything and we can't do everything. We need each other and we need to constantly be learning. This attitude of humility is what helps people to work together. It's what helps people to come together. And just as pride and arrogance will bring division, humility leads to unity. But notice the second thing, gentleness, gentleness. Gentleness is not just a, a gift, but gentleness, the Bible says, is the way that we live in a manner worthy of our calling. So think about this. Why would the Bible include gentleness in a passage about speaking about living toward unity? Well, the, the opposite of being gentle is being, being harsh. And there's a lot of reasons why being harsh and being difficult creates division. And one of them is, is that if we're going to become unified together, we've got to recognize that we're all still sinners. We're not yet fully transformed into the image of Christ. We're just on the journey. And so you push a person too hard and the sinful nature will become too tempting. 
and in pride and arrogance, they'll simply rebel. Uh, that's why preachers who are mad all the time at everybody are rarely very effective in, in preaching. There's a place in the church for gentleness. Gentleness will endear people to you instead of driving them away. So the Bible says if we're going to live worthy of this calling, we, we need to have humility. We need to have gentleness. And we need to have patience. If we read the Bible, it's one long story about what God is doing throughout the world. He took thousands of years to do it. God doesn't work on our timetable. He works according to his. He has a plan. And so we have to be patient. The Bible says that God is even patient with sinners, waiting for them to come to repentance. In fact, it's why he delays his wrath, so that people might have the, the time and the opportunity to come to repentance. You see, God is patient with people who have not yet come to the faith. God is even patient with his own children. And if we're going to build unity in the church, we need to learn to be patient with one another. Sometimes people are not where they need to be. They're not where they need to be spiritually. They're not where they need to be in their attitude. But you and I can't fix them in a moment. And if God is patient with them, we need to learn to be patient with them. Which leads us to this last thing in this list, bearing with one another in love. It says here that, that we're to bear with one another. Have you ever noticed this? Now, now bearing, that, that's never used with anything positive, right? You, you, don't, you don't bear a blessing. You just bear a heavy load. You, you, don't, you don't bear a great day, but, but you bear sickness and recovery. Anytime you bear something, it's always something negative. And so the Bible says here that we're to bear with one another. And what that means is that there's just going to be times when people in church are not a joy. But be patient and gentle and bear with them. Because there's going to be a time, maybe many times, when you're not going to be a joy either. And you're going to need people to be patient and gentle and bear with you. There's times in the church that, that we have to learn to bear with people and give them space to come to their senses, give them room to come to repentance, and we have to let the Holy Spirit work in his own time in their lives, and we pray and we hope that they'll come to maturity. There's times in the church where there's people that are just the polar opposite of us. You ever been around somebody that they're just, their personality is so different that just being around them is like, it's like nails on the chalkboard. They don't even have to do anything anymore, say anything. You're just anticipating what they're going to do or say, and you know you're not going to like it. There's just some personalities just don't mesh very well. And so we have to, we have to bear with one another. And this is the lifestyle that leads to unity in the church. And it is challenging. It's hard and it takes effort. But when we understand what God has called us to, 
it's worth the price. Now, what would motivate us to do this? Well, the motive in embracing this way of life is the desire to maintain unity. In verse 3, he says, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So my, my wife was watching football last night, my middle daughter. They're, they're the football lovers. In our, I like it, but they, they just love it. So we went out to dinner, and Madison can't focus because she's got the football game on her phone. We got home last night. I said, Suzanne, I got to go to bed. She stayed up and watched the rest of a game after watching several other games. And did you, I don't know, anybody watching football yesterday, you'll know that there were several upsets, some teams that just nobody expected to win. And there's like no, you know, earthly explanation how they could have won or why they should have won. When you look at their stats, past performance, we see a team like a, you know, LSU was taken down by Texas A&M. Uh, Oregon was beaten by Oregon State. And we were watching some of those games, and, you know, I, we were talking about how uh, some of these teams that aren't even ranked beat teams that are, are highly ranked and have had a great season. You know, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I just don't know of any explanation other than they wanted it more. And you can see it when you watch the game. You can see players that are just, they were just highly motivated to beat their in-state rival, highly motivated to overcome the underdog status and just to win the game. They just, they wanted it more. They were, they were eager to win. At some point, we got to ask ourselves, how bad do we really want to seek unity in the body of Christ? Are we okay with it if it just happens on its own, or are we eager to make it happen? Uh, the Bible says here that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what, that's what moves us to live in a way that's so unnatural for us, that lives us to be humble. It's, it's hard to be humble. It really is. It's just not natural for us. I mean, what's natural for us is arrogant. We see somebody doing something, though it's not the way that we do it, and what's the natural thing for us is tell them they're doing it wrong. It's, it's hard to be gentle times sometimes. Our emotions get stirred up within us, and we get angry and frustrated, and, and we say things that are just way too harsh. It's, it's, it's hard to be gentle. It's hard to be patient and to wait. We want things now. We want it to happen on our time frame. It's hard. And it's hard to bear with one another. But if we're eager, if we're eager to maintain the unity, it will move us to embrace this way of life. I want you to notice the second thing that Paul teaches us. Though we've all been called to unity, we've been gifted with a diversity of gifts. Diversity. The Bible says in verses 4 through 6, it teaches us there is only one God and one faith. This is what it says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, so the Bible says here there, there's just one God, there's just one church, there's just one faith. You're either in it or you're not. And that perspective helps us to seek unity. 
We think about some of the things we've done together in the community with other churches. Like, I'm aware there's some theological differences. I went to seminary. I know that. We look at the U.S. military today, and you have two soldiers that grew up in two very different cultures. They vote two different ways, and they think totally different about a lot of different things. But when the bullets start flying, they understand they're on the same side. There are things that that supersede our, our differences such as the gospel. And so there's only one church. You're either in it or you're not. And you don't become part of God's church by having a perfect understanding of everything. Read the gospels and see how much the disciples didn't understand and how much they fussed and argued about different things. And so there's, there's one body, there's one church, you're either in it or you're not. And so when you recognize that we're all together in this, this church, but you have the same time by design, God has given us all different gifts. So we're, we're intentionally designed by God to be, to be different because a car requires more than an engine. It's got to have different parts, each doing their job. And the Bible in Corinthians uses the example of the physical body. And it says we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Each part has a different job. Can you imagine if we were all called to be preachers? I mean, we'd be here till tomorrow morning, right? Everybody got a chance to preach their sermon. We're, we're all different by God's design. And he's placed us here intentionally different so that when we come together, there's something that happens that can't happen apart. And so it says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So we all have different gifts, and the purpose of these gifts is to complete God's plan for mankind on this earth. That's why it says about Christ in verse 10, that he might fill all things. So what are the purpose of these gifts? Why has God made us all different? It's so that we can, we can build up the church. That's the purpose of our gifts so that we can build up the church. If God has given you the gift of hospitality, it's not so you can sit around all week and say, well, I'm more hospitable than any person on earth. That's, that's not the purpose. And, and people do this all the time with their gifts. Preachers think about trying to be the best preacher, which is ridiculous. We're all on the same team together trying to build the kingdom of God. The goal is not to be the best. The goal is to be faithful. And so when you think about our gifts, the purpose of the gift is to use it to build up the body of Christ. And so it says in verse 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, different, different people, different leaders here that God has gifted the church with. And it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And God intended for these ministry leaders to use their gifts to pursue their calling in order to build the church up and to create unity within the body. And so it says about talking about the maturity here, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The Bible in the New Testament uses the, uh, the image of the physical body to illustrate spiritual growth. So it talks about being babes in Christ. It talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. 
So this is because you're born again and you're a Christian. You may be in the family, but that doesn't mean that we're all at the same level of maturity. And the goal is that we would all grow up. And if you're a little farther along than somebody else, it shouldn't lead you to be prideful and arrogant about that. But instead, in with grace and humility and patience and gentleness, we should help those people to come along. We serve the Lord by serving other people. And our goal here is to build up the church so that we would be unified together. Now, this is really important to understand. Unity does not mean sameness. Think about the Trinity. One God, and yet Father, Son, and Spirit. The Bible is very clear that they're all working together in perfect harmony, and yet they're not the same. If they were the same, we'd have three fathers or three sons or three Holy Spirits. They're, they're different, and yet... In that diversity, they're still completely unified together. And a lot of division in church comes from trying to force people into the mold in which God created us. And we need to understand that God has made us all diverse by design. He gave us different gifts. He gave us different passions. He gave us different personalities that when we come together, we unify and we do something that none of us can do individually. And when we recognize that other people are not like us because God designed them not to be like us so that we could complement one another and we could work together to achieve something we couldn't work to achieve individually, that enables us to be patient with people even when we don't understand them. You know, some people in the church are just numbers people. They make every decision with a calculator. And we need people like that. Every business has to have somebody that keeps up with the numbers or else they'll overspend. And the same story in the church. You got to have people with the gift of administration. But then we got other people that make every decision with their feelings. And if you're a numbers person, that's a little frustrating. But we need them. Because if we only had numbers people, nobody would feel welcome or even want to be here. Got to have tender-hearted, compassionate people. God created us all differently by design. And when we recognize that, it helps us to bear with one another. To realize that unity does not mean sameness. Unity means sharing a common purpose. It means coming together to serve one Lord in one church. And so I want you to notice this last thing that Paul teaches here. He seeks, teaches about speaking the truth in love. You see, when we speak the truth in love, that's what enables the church to grow strong in the faith. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So notice what he says, speaking the truth in love. Everybody needs to hear the truth. When you go to your doctor, you don't want him to lie to you. You want him to tell you what's wrong and tell you what you need to do. And when you come to church, you need to hear the truth. But it can't always be harsh. It can't always be blunt force trauma. 
It's got to be packaged in love so that people can receive it. You see, when we know somebody cares about us, it enables us to receive things we couldn't receive from anybody else. There was a, a pastor friend of mine. He said that he had a lady uh, that wanted to sing in the church, and he said she was just absolutely tone deaf, had the worst voice ever. He said, but I had to let her sing. He said, there's some things like only your mama can tell you. And it's true, isn't it? There's some things that only somebody that truly loves you, that's the only person you can receive it from. When somebody loves you, it changes everything about your relationship. And when we speak the truth, people need to know that we speak it out of love and concern for them. And this is what makes the body grow together. And so it says, from the whole body, joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, I hope it's your desire to see not just this church, but God's kingdom in unity together. But it won't happen by accident. You and I, we need to be eager to make it happen. We need to be eager to maintain this unity. And that's what will motivate us to be patient people, to be gentle, to be humble, to bear with one another. And when we begin to live like that, that's a lifestyle that cultivates unity. And that's God's desire for his church, is that as different as we are, we could all pursue the same goal. That in our diversity, we'd balance each other and complement each other. And that together, God would use us to do things that none of us can do individually. So it's my hope and prayer that unity in the church would be your eager desire. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you've called us to. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in a manner worthy of it. God, help us to have a desire to be honest with ourselves, that we would see where we need to change. May we become humble, gentle, patient people who bear with one another, that you might use us for your honor and for your glory. For it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Well, the Bible says in this passage that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. You know, the part of that calling is to be adopted into God's family. And what that means is that the reason that Jesus came on this earth to die was so that there could be a payment made for your sin. You see, when he died on the cross, he did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He paid for all of your sin. And so God offers us forgiveness as a free gift. He offers to adopt us into his family and to give us all kinds of spiritual blessings. But like every other gift that's extended, we have to make a choice whether we'll receive it or not. And so I want to ask you today, if you've never believed this, 
never spoken to God and asked for forgiveness. When we begin to sing, would you just pray and talk to the Lord? You see, the Bible says about Jesus, it says to as many who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Today, if you were to receive him, you could be adopted into God's family. And you'd have a motive for wanting to change and seek the unity of the church. But it begins with you receiving the gift that God offers. If you're here today and you've already received this gift and you've received the call of God on your life, then we need to live like it. We need to live like it. We can't keep living like the people that we used to be. We can't reach an area of just bare minimal competence and coast there. It takes effort if we're going to build up the church. It takes effort. And so I'd ask you today, would you just be honest with yourself? Just, just say, God, what do I need to change? Do I, do, do I, need, to, do I need to be more humble in some areas? Do I need to be more patient with some people? Or what do I need to do so that I might be your instrument to work with others to build up the church in unity together? And I think if you be honest with God and listen to him, he'll speak to you. And so as we close in this song, I invite you to respond to the Lord. If you need help praying or making a decision, then I'll be standing right down here at the front. If you'll come up to me, I'll be glad to pray with you and help you make your decision. Let's stand together as we sing.